0: Welcome to Open Source Underdogs, the podcast about successful open source business models. I'm your host, Mike Schwartz, and this is episode 31 with Peter Zaitsev, founder and CEO of Percona. Peter was one of the early MySQL team members. He's also renowned for co-authoring the canonical O'Reilly book, High Performance MySQL. This episode is a fascinating story about how you can build a fantastic business by curating some complex open source components while at the same time funding the availability of more open source features for the community. Here we go. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Percona has a very different business model than many that we've interviewed. Can you shed some light on the origin and the mission of Percona?
1: Sure. A while back, uh, now it uh, looks like in uh, a different uh, galaxy far, far away, I was uh, an early employee of. MySQL AB, right? That's before Sun, before Oracle, a long time ago. And uh, I really joined the company because we were on this very romantic mission to revolutionize uh, the database uh, world, right? With uh, with the open source databases. Yet as the time went, uh, I think MySQL AB pivoted from the company, which would be really putting the customer first to this, I would say, venture capital, potential IPO track where you can say, hey, you know what, we need to really hit the growth numbers at uh, all costs, right? And in this case, I think our romantic ideas and uh, ethics in some cases would uh, suffer, or at least so I saw it. And I decided to leave my MySQL at that time and start uh, Percon with idea what we want to be very much customer-focused company, right? Uh, put customer first, to do consulting, uh, right? Uh, which was our first uh, focus. Really doing what's right for a customer, not having any other baggage or commitments you would have, right? And that is pretty much how Percona got started.
0: Percona has a number of open-source projects. Could you just give a quick overview of some of the more successful ones? Sure. First, let me
1: mention how our first open source projects really uh, originated. Really, we went into this business as a professional services consulting business. We didn't really think about building our products. But what we found is to help customers to solve their problems. In many cases, it is uh, the consulting is not enough. Right? You really need uh, uh, the code, the software products in many cases. So, for example we found uh, there was no good open-source backup solution for MySQL, and that is how we created Percona Extra Backup. Also, there was uh, the time when Oracle would own InnoDB and MySQL would own the rest of MySQL, and all that MySQL engineering was very dysfunctional at that time, right? And uh, that is how D B and later Percona Server was born, right? So for us, that was uh, very much, I would say, born out of a uh, customer need, first and foremost. If you look at uh, right now, uh, we have a software such as uh, Percona Server for MySQL, which is a very popular MySQL alternative, which offers a lot of additional enterprise features uh, in open source package. We also have uh, Percona Server for MongoDB with similar proposition. We have uh, Percona Monitoring and Management, uh, purpose-built uh, open source, monitoring platform for databases. We also have Percona x 3 Cluster, which is our clustering solution for MySQL, which is really adopted by a lot of large enterprises with very high availability requirements. sometimes as a replacement for Oracle Rack.
0: And who are the customers of Percona today?
1: If you think about open source database, we have a very broad uh, applicability. So customers come to us from all the countries uh, industries uh, right and all shapes and sizes from our focus and i think we were most successful is the customers which are running database at scale or for business critical applications right because in the, that is when they really want to invest uh, money into having their database to run well and perform well we have many Enterprise companies, though, we uh, have a fair amount of uh, smaller companies and uh, and startups as well. We serve a substantial number of companies in the finance industry, in uh, healthcare, in uh, retail, right? So all of those prob- is obviously the companies which work with a lot of uh, business-critical sensitive data.
0: Do you have any outbound marketing campaigns, or do companies just find percona through the open source and through the the tools and contact you inbound
1: well uh it is both right Uh, we do have uh, our sales team which is both supported by our marketing team in terms of inbound leads uh, as well as is uh, looking for the companies who would potentially benefit for from percona and contact them what we found is a lot of especially larger companies they are Kind of lazy, right? In this regard, where we say, "Hey, you know what? If you are somebody who matters, you will contact me," right? More than actually doing a lot of uh, research to find the company they want to engage with, as some of the smaller startups. So uh, to use a combination of that, I think uh, one of the things that we have been doing from very early days is we. I really focus on the third leadership and educating our customers and community at large, right? So for example, our blog has about 300,000 attendees every month, which is of course not your Facebook, but if you think about a professional database industry, that is quite significant. We do more than 100 conference talks every year worldwide. We run our own two conferences, right? So we really. Rely on third leadership, right, to get Percona message out.
0: So, how has the value proposition for Percona evolved over time? So,
1: if you look at where we started, we started with uh, essentially consulting, and especially consulting focused on uh, the high-performance applications for MySQL and and MySQL alone. And this gradually extended uh, both in terms of the services uh, we offer. So, right now. We have uh, support, management services, and uh, professional services such as consulting and training. And in terms of technologies, we cover right. So right now, we also cover MySQL, PostgreSQL, MongoDB, and uh, and MariaDB. Right. So really, the value proposition changed from essentially, hey, you know what, we can optimize your MySQL performance to what Percona helps you to run MySQL, PostgreSQL, Mo- uh, MongoDB best. Now, I think what is important uh, for our customers is what we provide the fully open-source uh, solution, open-source platform, if you like, which really help you to avoid vendor uh, lock-in and uh, really save costs in vent. What our customers uh, recognize then, uh, after they have been a customers for uh, some time, is the quality of our support and other help they are trying to get uh, from your corner. But that is obviously something every vendor would say, right? So that doesn't drive their buying decision, but that is a value we recognize uh, later.
0: One of our previous guests said that if you're going to sell support, it's almost better if you don't write the software, because if you write the software, Mm -hmm. then those people who are writing it are not billable. And you're actually better to just support somebody else's software. Do you think that's true? Is it better not to write the software?
1: Well, I don't quite agree with that, right? Because if you think about uh, support, right, it can mean a couple of different things, right. You can provide the operational support, and this would be something like, uh, you know, think your help desk, right. Oh, you know what? I am having a problem with my Windows on Mac. I don't know how to do, right, and I go to somebody and he gives me that support to use it properly, right. This is one kind of support. But now in this case, you also Relying on somebody to provide you the bug fixes the security fixes and so on and so forth, which is absolutely critical in the uh, in the enterprise and if you are going to provide it or some other vendors will right in this case you obviously wouldn't have provided a complete solution and I think thats what makes purecon unique is what uh, we do it both so when we support mySQL we actually have engineering team on staff, so then our customer is, uh, let's say, experiencing some crashes or some other software-related bugs, we have a people on staff who can actually fix those issues and deliver bug fixes, right? And if you have no experience of uh, writing software, you, of course, cannot do that. The same happens with uh, security issues, of course, right? You need to have some software engineering to provide that, right? But that doesn't mean you need to write all software, Right. For example, if you think about Red Hat and especially early days of Red Hat, I mean, they would not write the entirely of you know Linux kernel right or all the utilities they ship, but they would have enough engineering experience to support their customers uh, on the code basics when we when you have to. And you can think about Percona, a bit of course, the much smaller one, as uh, the Red Hat of uh, open source databases.
0: I was reading an article you wrote in 2016 titled, How Percona Has Built a Successful Open Source Business Based on Support and Services Revenues. Mm -hmm. In the last 28 podcasts I've recorded, the sentiment has been almost unanimous that it's hard to scale this approach. Um, In an early episode with Maria DB, Michael Howard was very dismissive of the support business model. I'm wondering, how did you manage to scale this business and how do you get enterprise customers to renew?
1: Okay. Well, I think that is a very good question. Now, and I think this is very interesting in the open source community, uh, right? What has been happening right now is currently a lot of the so-called the open source communities, right? they are, don't really have an open source business model, right? They have an open source marketing model. They market something open source, but they sell you something which is actually commercial. Right. So think about MySQL, which markets themselves as a most popular open source database, right? But you come to Oracle, they'll sell you a MySQL enterprise, which is of course proprietary. The same happens to many other companies. And reality of that is this, right? If you go ahead and if you go ahead and raise uh, their venture capital, then typically the growth curve and the revenue expectations you will have to provide which will be much higher than a natural organic open source community growth field support. And so you'll have to turbocharge that by pretty much introducing the open core, you know, source available or similar models uh, to force your customers to pay. Right. But that is not open source. In our case, we are not venture funded company. Right. We have been bootstrapped, right. And in this case, we have been saying, Hey, we're going to accept the revenue growth, which the market is going to tolerate while we're sticking to our values of putting the customer first, taking care about our stuff and sticking to the open source. Is that, uh, uh, giving us as a uh, large uh, growth as, I don't know, say somebody like, you know, MongoDB or Elastic, right? Well, no, right? But uh, we have been able to build a successful business for that. So, that is, I think, is a very core difference. Now, something else I would want to add here, I think, which we recognize and which is very important. If you're really looking for an enterprise, they're not looking to do it alone. They're not going to go with this kind of insurance. They're not trained to, the, you know, just to say, oh, we're going to grab open source software and self support it in house. And we are uh, found ourselves is what uh, the enterprise companies, they are in the end, if they're going to be adopting open source software, they are going to buy the support, right? Equivalent services, right? From somebody. And if you provide very good uh, good value, that somebody is going to be you.
0: So it sounds like you haven't really changed your opinion about open core, <laughs> But I mean, given that how hard it is to start open source businesses, or let's say businesses that lead the development of an open-source project, do you think that, do you cut them a little bit more slack today? Or do you still think that you should either be open-core or open-source? Oh, no, no.
1: I mean, uh, let me be clear. In this case, my approach uh, or my thinking is what's uh, there. Open-core is, of course, has a right to exist. And that is a very reasonable business model to pursue. That is not the business model we have chosen, and we at Percona have been able to choose that business model. We are doing the fully open source, at large extent, because those larger vendors exist, right? So, for example, we are not uh, tricking anybody saying what we could be able to do all the engineering, for example, which goes into Percona Server just by ourselves, right? We are relying. In this case, on uh, Oracle pushing for the open source edition. And then we are doing that, uh, that better. And I would say if you're doing the green, uh, green field development, you know, trying to build up a completely new database from scratch, it can be very hard to succeed in the current market, right? Without some sort of an investment. So that is, uh, th- that is my take. Uh, what my point I think uh, here is this, right? businesses uh, should come in all shapes and sizes. There is room for proprietary software, for open core, and so on and so forth, right? But if you look at the customers, everything being equal, the open source, the true open source gives you the best value. And we happen to be uh, able to do a business by providing the best value to you.
0: So I think it's um, kind of ironic that you're saying that open source is the best value But I noticed in that same article that you mentioned that you think margins should be lower for open source software. And if it's the best value, shouldn't the opposite be true, that you get better margins for giving customers more freedom?
1: Well, what you're speaking about here is the value for customers in this case. And I would say the value from customers, that does correspond to somewhat lower margins to you, right? If you will, right? Especially on the per per unit basics, right? I mean, if you look, for example, some retail evolution, right? Ranging from somebody like Costco or even Amazon, they're able to lower prices in many cases because their margins are lower, but their costs are lower as well, right? If you think about how much Costco marks up their stuff compared to somebody like Nordstrom. Right, then that's going to be night and day, right? And yes, we are much closer to Costco in this regard, and we are proud of it.
0: That analysis assumes that you're getting volume. If you use open source as part of your business model, must you then get volume? I think
1: in this case, uh, of course, in terms of my analogy, right? I think where it is not super correct uh, in this case is what uh, stores like Costco right sell uh, relatively inexpensive products in the enterprise space. You often uh, Have a dollar volume which uh, does not have to have uh, the same customer volume, right? If you will. Like, for example, I have looked now, probably like a year or so ago, right? The S1 of Pivotal when they went IPO, right? And they listed just about 300 customers, but they would have more than a million dollars of average revenue per customer with a very high end enterprise focus. So, I think what you can get the volume driven this way. Now I think what ha- also happens in the open source uh, case, right? And and uh, I think what is uh, important here is what really in open source in successful open source projects you are able to save on the marketing costs, right? Because your community is going to be doing some marketing for you, to much more sense than uh, proprietary companies typically can enjoy.
0: You have a lot of experience in licensing, I'm sure. Have your thoughts on licensing evolved, let's say, within open-source licenses?
1: Oh, yes. I think it is a very interesting time for open-source licenses. I think, classically, if you look at, there have been two camps in open-source software licensing, right? And again, I'm speaking about the open-source only in this case. There have been one camp which would be the permissive licenses, right? You think about, apache bsd mit saying hey take our software do whatever you want if you want to integrate or modify and ship it as a commercial version it is fine right and then there's have been this uh, gpl license right which is uh, led by ideas of richard stallman saying hey you know what to really promote open source software we need to force companies which modify that software to open source that and i think in the in the 90s, early 2000s, it looked like the GPL approach was winning. There is, of course, Linux, there is uh, the MySQL, uh, right, and so on and so forth. But more recently, things have been changing what we have uh, interesting polarization going on, right? Because from one standpoint, we see their technologies which are more open, getting uh, more traction. For example, PostgreSQL has uh, the larger momentum than MySQL. Those days, in part because of the underlying license, right, which has it. From the other side, we are seeing also people kind of polarizing and uh, evolving towards not completely open source business models, right? You can see business source license, right, which uh, MariaDB uses, right? You can see the, you know, shared source licenses, which uh, companies like MongoDB, Elastic or Redis has been adopting recently, right? So we can say this uh, really polarization of the open source, right? I think there are some of the ideas are driven, hey, you know what, we want our adoption software to be as widely used as possible, right? And kind of really focused on adoption. And there is another camp in the open source, which is focused on protection and monetization, saying, oh, you know what, We kind of want to give something like open source, but we want to make sure cloud providers cannot just take our stuff and and run with them, right? And uh, I think there is space for both. And I think it's very interesting to see what this competition uh, of uh, ideas and business model uh, is happening right now. And uh, it's very interesting where it's going to take us.
0: Do you think that by introducing these more restrictive licenses that the companies are trying to gather a larger percentage of the monetization of the ecosystem, and they're basically making a call that they'd rather have more of the pie than, let's say, a slice of a bigger pie.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, I think it's uh, interesting to use this uh, analogy, right? That's exactly something I used in uh, one of the keynotes I gave recently, right? I think you can think about those You know, uh, from a pie analogy, right? A company is focused on a bigger pie or getting a bigger slice, right? And that is exactly that. And companies and some companies and communities are exactly focused on the growth on a project first and foremost. And in this case, they typically choose as permissive licenses as feasible. And of course, if you uh, want to have a control, right, and really ensure what uh, only you can monetize your environment, right? Then that is a different choice. Like, for example, I would say if you think about PostgreSQL community, that is uh, extremely fragmented, right? And there is uh, no large player that uh, has a very large portion of that market, right? And in generally, that community is very much focused uh, on adoption, right? For example, they say, oh, Amazon now has a Postgres or PostgreSQL Aurora. That is fantastic. That means more Postgres. That means Postgres is more accessible for some developers which wouldn't use it otherwise, right? We're very excited about that. Now, if you look at the opposite side of the spectrum, we have MongoDB, right? Where MongoDB is obsessed about having all there is MongoDB revenue there is right now. And they're doing good at this point in time, right? You can see that obviously there is only MongoDB Atlas. In this case, they're not being kind of undermined by Amazon's or Google's or office uh, world, right? But that also is just about now, right? We can see what those changes to node open source approach, for example, see them being dropped from some Linux distributions, right? Or some projects are moving away from using MongoDB because of that open source changes. And we also see some alternatives popping up, right? So Amazon say, Hey guys, you don't allow us to run MongoDB on Amazon, that's fine. We'll create protocol-compatible alternative, right? Amazon's document DB. And I think if we will look at five years from now, we'll see what that strategy to be kind of very greedy and selfish have backfired for MongoDB.
0: Switching gears a little bit, where do you see Percona in 20 years?
1: Uh, Ooh, uh, well, as a quote someone, right? It's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. In this case, and uh, the honest answer would be, I think, in how technology is evolving, it is really hard uh, to tell. What we are focusing on, if you look at the next uh, three, five years, right, is we are continue to build and improve our open source uh, platform to run the open source databases successfully, and uh, we are investing a lot in uh, cloud offerings, right, especially with cloud uh, native, which I think is. Fantastic open source uh, response to that seductive convenience, which uh, database as a service offers. And uh, also uh, a lot of focus on really automation, right? Helping to uh, reduce the toil, right? Uh, I could call it artificial intelligence, right? For databases, but really only some of the algorithms which underpin automation are artificial intelligence based. So that is a kind of a big uh, direction where we're going to. If you think about reality my approach uh, has been growing uh, successful profitable and uh, what probably is uh, most important for me is a good company that i can be proud of right and our staff can be proud of and because i didn't raise any venture capital i don't uh, necessarily need to provide an exit to anyone right even 20 years from now we're still growing there is still private company That is fantastic. I don't see any problem with that, right? And there are some very, you know, admired successful companies as Ikea, right? Which are very large, but they're still private. Or of course, uh, it is uh, possible what somebody will come and uh, make an offer I cannot refuse. Well, I'm a businessman, right? And uh, I wouldn't be telling you, oh, you know what? I never will sell for any money because, well, I know when those words are said, it's typically bullshit.
0: And the way that you've positioned the business, in a way because you write some software, but you're also willing to look to what other people are doing, almost like is a better long-term strategy for you because you don't have to be right on your software. You're willing to sort of jump ship and say, there's something better out there. We're just going to use that because it's open source.
1: That's right. And if you look at our approach to innovation, we are looking, for example, at the MySQL ecosystem, right, or Postgres, right, whatever. We're really too looking at the tools which already exist in open source ecosystem, and we are covering the gaps which we need to. But in some cases, we'll have to write something from scratch. In others, we'll have to adopt some uh, open source projects, right, and kind of uh, and integrate and test and so on and so forth, right? But I think it's very important in our businesses to be low on ego, right? Because if you let the engineering team to get that not invented here mentality, right, and and you really start implementing too much stuff in-house, even if it doesn't provide substantial value to customers and community, you will raise your costs uh, way too high, right, and run into trouble.
0: So what do you think are the biggest challenges facing open-source startups today?
1: That is uh, an interesting question, right? And I think uh, many open-source startups are different. They are really looking at the different target audience, if you will, and different business models. Now, if you look at um, the uh, open-source database, right, or infrastructure, I think uh, getting known is uh, very tough, right? Because if you look uh, compared to years ago, right, maybe 20 years ago, then Open source ecosystem was small and everybody kind of knew everybody and you know lend you hand. Now it is dominated by the semi open source venture funded right, or either public companies in terms of uh, voice share, right, in terms of how much marketing they do, right. So that is very hard to become known, right. I, I would guess that is a challenge. another hump, of course, is if you are targeting an enterprise. Those folks are very risk averse. So if you say you are, you know, two people company and you have created some fantastic technology, which can help a lot, then the question for enterprise is, well, can I trust you to be here in the next 10 years? Because that is a flying horizon uh, for many and unfortunate statistics about how many startups uh, go under. Of course, they don't. And I think even for Pircona, it took a lot of time for us to get to those confidence of uh, enterprise customers, right? Uh, I didn't mention that in the start, but we have been in business for 13 years now. And our customer base have been evolving, right? Early on, I could not imagine the customers I have now taken us seriously, uh, right? Uh, and we had to uh, really provide uh, services to much more startup-ish organizations which don't quite care what's going to happen in 10 years, right? We're just looking for somebody who is best to help them with their needs right today, right now.
0: Maybe you could just talk about forgetting the company and open source or maybe, but just in general, you've had quite an entrepreneurial experience. Any advice just for entrepreneurs or people?
1: I think what is a very important in this case is to understand who you are. And what your goals are, right? Because I myself has a, a relatively unusual path, if you like, right? Uh, I came from a technical background, from engineering background, to become a CEO, and I also chose to stay fairly technical, right? So I uh, am still going to the customers, right, and we discuss the technical problems with them because uh, uh, that is something I I like, and. Uh, that really defined uh, how the company management will uh, had to be structured right i needed to hire a lot of people i could trust to really focus a lot of uh, business aspects to let him be ceo while uh, while uh, and maintain that uh, kind of technical edge still and that is uh, not the road which is right for everyone and that is not the road which is probably even possible for for everyone right i would say I would not quite fit in the in the mold, right, of a traditional CEO, right, in many cases.
0: Peter, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and being so candorous today.
1: Okay, of course, thank you. That has been a pleasure.
0: Thanks to the Percona team for helping to organize the interview. Transcription and episode audio can be found on opensourceunderdogs.com. Music from Broke for Free and Chris Zabriskie, audio editing, by Inez Satenji. Production assistance and transcription by Natalie Lau. Operational support from William Lau. If you want to comment on this episode, tweet at us. Our handle is at FOSS podcast. That's F-O-S-S podcast. If you really like this episode, don't forget to leave us five stars on iTunes. That really helps us get the word out. Next week, we interview Boris Rensky, the founder of Mirantis. Until then, thanks for listening.